is great, but to finish well takes some perseverance, doesn't it? And it takes perseverance in the Christian life to finish well. I, I remember when I first got saved, the excitement and the joy and the zeal that was in my life and the things that I wanted to do. But you have to persevere in your Christian life. You begin to learn things about the Word of God, and you realize uh, where you are in your relationship to God, and you've got to make changes all the time. You've got to keep adjusting. And uh, it takes some endurance. Even when all around you is not going well, it takes some endurance. And so what does it take? And just because others are doing wrong around me, it doesn't mean I have to do wrong. It means that I have a responsibility to do right because I carry the name of Christ. And I thought about the, Christ, the cross of Christ. You know, you talk about a battle that was fought, and he died a sinless man. Our Christ did nothing, and he offered himself up. And I began to think, what did he say on the cross? It is finished. He did what God had called him to do. And the challenge I have for us tonight is, are we doing what God has called us to do, and are we going to finish well? And, and as you think about that, Paul said to T Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 6, and 7, for I'm now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul was getting ready to die, wasn't he? He said, the, the time of my departure is at hand. And he said this, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my what? God, I've done what you've all asked me to do. I've finished well, Lord. I have kept the faith. That's what he did. And I'm challenging us tonight just to think, not just Saul. We can look at Saul's life and say... That clown, look at what he did. <laughs> look at the foolish things that man did. He should have known better. But what about us? Are we going to finish well in our Christian life? King Saul started off well, but he allowed the world. He allowed people. He allowed his peers. He allowed pressure to come in, and he allowed false religion to crowd out truth, and he allowed all these things to start to enter into his life. And a man who started off well did not finish well because when you look at his life, it ended tragically, didn't it? And not only for himself, but also for his family did it end tragically. And so we see this in his life. Finishing well is not just about how well you start, but it's the use of the power of God in our lives to follow through on what God's called us to do, to endure to the end. And so one of the challenges I want us to have in our heart tonight as we look at this, are you avoiding the pitfalls that lead to an unfinished work for God? Are you avoiding the pitfalls that lead to an unfinished work for God? What's God called you to do? You say, well... Nothing. No, God's called every one of us to something, and he re He's requesting something of each of us, and He wants us to finish well. So the Lord, I believe, will, He'll help us. He'll lead us. He'll help you endure hardships in your life. He'll help you uh, to lean on Him, if you will, and He'll help you finish well when the times are tough. He'll help pull you through in those situations. So to finish well for the Lord, I, I thought about three cautionary steps. And that's what I looked at when I read this. I thought, man, there's some steps that he could have taken to avoid some of this stuff, and there's some cautionary steps we need to take in our life. One of the things I thought about is this. Think about your decisions. Think about your decisions. Don't just make them. Think about decisions that you're going to make. When you think about those decisions, one of the things you want to do is you want to avoid high-mindedness. High-mindedness is if you think you know more than God's Word or you think you know more than God or people that have experienced things and you think you know more than they do, avoid high-mindedness. Be willing to listen to the Lord. Be willing to listen to His truth. And the third thought is this. When you know what God's Word says and you're about to make a decision contrary to what God's Word says, you better obey God's Word rather than the decision you're about to make. <laughs> and so turn your thoughts back toward what God has, ha has to say. Now think about your decisions. We come to a place in Saul's life 
that prior decisions led to his death. Things that he did in his past led to his current estate. Where he is in this battle is the result of disobedience to God. And he found himself in a very tough situation. Choices he made along the way and how he handled situations apart from God brought him to this place. And when you read that last verse, there's no doubt about it. God said in his word, so Saul died for his transgressions. And when you look at what he transgressed against, it wasn't the people that he transgressed against. It says, which he committed against the Lord. He did it against God, and he did it against God's word. And so what I'm challenging us with is when you're about to make decisions, you better consult God, and you better consult his word, and you better be willing to obey what God has to say because if I don't, I can expect consequences not to be what I have desired them to be. I can't expect an outcome that's going to be good and blessed if I'm going to be disobedient to truth. And so when you think about this tonight, in success or in sorrow, Saul continually ignored the leading of, of the Lord and made decisions based on emotions and feelings and not facts and truth. Uh, and, and we don't have time to turn to all these, but in 1 Samuel, in chapter 15, in verses 18 through 22, God came to him and he said, or Samuel came to, to Saul and he said, hey, Sam, uh, hey Saul, what are you doing? Why are you going to making these sacrifices? You know the first thing that Saul did? He lied. The first thing he did, instead of telling Samuel the truth, he lied. So when he lied to Samuel, who else did he lie to? He lied to the Lord, didn't he? Do you know what he told Samuel? Oh, man, it wasn't me. It was those people over there who wanted me to do this. You liar. <laughs> You're lying. That's not truth. And that's exactly what he did. And, and God tells him, do you know it's better to obey than it is to do what? Sacrifice. And the thing of it is, is sometimes I think we're willing more to sacrifice than we are to obey. You think about some of the sacrifices you've had to make in your life because you were disobedient. I've sacrificed my tail end several times to my dad because I was willing to disobey. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes we are willing to sacrifice than we are to being willing to obey. So if you're going to finish your course well, then you must endure making decisions, choices based on truth and not on how you feel. And I, I share this with you all the time. Feelings are a roller coaster, man. And if I make my decisions based on how I feel, sometimes I don't want to get out of bed. <laughs> I don't want to go to the meeting. I don't want to make the decision. I don't feel like reading that. I don't feel like writing that. I don't feel like studying that. I don't feel... Do you understand what I'm saying? How many times do you not feel like doing something? And if you base everything off of your feelings, what's going to happen to you? You're going to ride a roller coaster, aren't you? And so... Saul was riding a roller coaster. He's basing everything off how he feels. If you stay principled to the truth of God's word, guess what? God's not going to mislead you. He'll never mislead you. When you stick to truth, he will not mislead you. So what if I'm off course, preacher? You say tonight, listen, what if I'm already off course? What do I do about this thing? How do I get on course? And so what I want, to, want you to think about is, one, go to God, seek his forgiveness, say, Lord, I'm off track. Tell him. He wants to hear from you. Lord, I'm off track. <laughs> Help me out here, Lord. And, and then be willing to say to God, God, I'm asking you to lead me now. I'm off course. I need you to get me back on track. And so go to God. Tell him you're off course. Let him know. And he understands. Trust me, he knows already that you're off course. He's looking for you to admit that. And he's looking for you to say, okay, help me get back on track. And then let him take over so that you're not making these poor decisions that you'll regret now. I preached a message at my brother's funeral 
And, and the message was a life of no regrets. A life of no regrets. How many of you would like to say you're living a life of no regrets? <laughs> be nice to do, wouldn't it? How many of you in here have some regrets in this life? But a life of no regrets is one that is given over solely to God and you're basing all your decisions upon who He is, not what you feel and what you want to do. And you do it based upon truth. Jeremiah 10, 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. So if it's not in me to know what direction to go in, who should I be talking to? Jeremiah said it's not in us to be able to know what direction to go in, so who do I consult about what I do, about decisions that I make, about the direction, about the steps that I take? He's not talking about physical walking. He's talking about your way of life. He's talking about very decisions that you make each and every day. And we think about how many decisions you negate God in your decision-making, and yet you want a, a decision to be made, and then we want God to bless the decision that we made, but we never consulted with the Heavenly Father about the decision that we've made. That's King Saul. That's what he did. He avoided speaking to God. He avoided asking God what he would have him to do. Proverbs 16, 3, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. I want to tell you something. If what I want to do is committed to him, and I say, okay, Lord, I want you to guide me in my thinking, I promise you this, he'll establish your thoughts. In other words, he'll stabilize them, won't he? He'll cause you to think right. And God can do that, and he's capable of it in my decision-making. We see that Saul was full of regrets once he decided to go and please the people instead of fulfilling the will of the Lord. Peter said in Acts 5.29, uh, Peter said, we ought to obey God rather than what? What are you? What are you? We're men and women, are we not? We ought to obey God rather than myself. Are you with me? I ought to obey God rather than what I think. I ought to obey God rather than man. We ought to obey God in what he has to say rather than me saying, well, let me tell you what I think. <laughs> what I think is not as important as what God has said. And what God says is what matters. And every choice you make in this life is a road you'll have to travel. Every choice you make in this life is a road you have to travel. When you make those decisions apart from him, that's a road you have to travel. You're going to go down that path. And we see many in the Scriptures who made poor choices, and you think about, well, who? What about Adam? Did he make a poor choice that day? All of mankind was plunged into sin because Adam one day chose to travel down his own road, didn't he? And the consequences of his decision have impacted mankind. <laughs> That's how devastating his decision was. Esau that day, based on his emotions and feelings, did what? He'd rather have a bowl of stew than to have his birthright. <laughs> he gave up his birthright, and to this day, we still have problems in the Middle East because Esau one day made a decision. You say, is that true? Yes. It's very true. And we have problems today because a man was motivated by his emotions and feelings and physical need over truth. And he let that happen to himself. Now, God wants to be our counselor, and he wants to be our consultant. And the consequences of not seeking the Lord, Israel's men were slain, killed, and all of Saul's family. That's a terrible consequence, isn't it? Terrible consequence. And in fact, even his armor bearer in those days, you didn't go back and say, hey, my king killed himself. I'm back to let you all know, because you know what they would do to that man? Then they're going to kill him and embarrass him and everything else, and they're going to do it in a manner and in a way. That man knew exactly what to do. When Saul took his own life, what did that man do? 
he did the honorable thing. He fell on his own sword, didn't he? He knew the wise thing to do. And, and the thing of it is, is the consequences of what Saul and the decisions he made. So God wants to be our counselor and our consultant, but we must be careful not to search for answers from everywhere but the Lord. And sometimes that's what we have a, a tendency to do. We have a tendency to want to go and find answers from everybody but God. In Jeremiah, or in James, I'm sorry, 1, 5 and 3, 17, he says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally, and the is not, it shall be given him. And then he tells us in 3.17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. God tells us in the New Testament, when you don't know something, you need to ask him. He wants us to come to him and make our decisions based on who he is. Now, the thought of all this is to avoid a pitfall of poor choices and bad decision-making. I believe one of the most important things a local church, and specifically the men in a local church, need to do is pray together. We need to come together and pray together. Why? Because the pastor is the head of the local church, but the men in the church coming together, there's, there's, there's wisdom in a multitude of what? Counselors. We need to pray together and as we pray together, it's not about a decision that I'm making or that Chris or Jim are making or those men over there make. No, we as a church body make decisions, amen? And we come together and we pray together and we seek God together and we ask God to lead us in our thinking. And we search Him out and we do that and we spend time in prayer. You as an individual, when you have decisions to make, don't go ask 10 people what they think about what you're going to do. Seek God first and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? That's the first step. Then in the process of that, you go and you talk to folks that are godly people. Don't go ask a person that's been divorced seven times whether they believe you ought to get a divorce or not. I can promise you I can tell you what their answer is going to be. I got a brother who's been married seven times. I asked my mom, what on God's green earth did he say to the seventh woman? I wanted to be there. I wanted to be the fly on the wall to find out what he told her. Because he wasn't that cute. And the thing of it is, is that I would never go and ask my brother what he thinks about my marriage. Do you know who I want to talk to? Guy who's been married 60, 70 years. And he's got a good relationship with his wife. I want to talk to that man. Are you with me? That's who I want to speak to. Don't go find out people or seek out people that are going to tell you what you think you want to hear. We're guilty of that, are we not? That's what Saul did. He would seek out people that would tell him what he wanted to hear rather than go to God. Now, as you look at this, and I see this, not only do you spend time in prayer and consult with godly counselors before you follow through, this could be the difference in finishing well and not finishing well. That's the difference in it. And when you think about this, the Lord wants us to stay away from a prideful heart as well. One of the things that happened here, he said, so Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord. What caused that to happen in him? Pride. What caused Adam to do what he did that day in the Garden of Eden? It was pride. It's what took him away. Now, one of the things I want to share with you is this, and, and believe me, you, Saul was guilty of this. Avoid high-mindedness. Avoid high-mindedness. And what I mean by that, when you think about Jabesh Gilead is the place where Israel was de uh, delivered from Nahash, the Ammonite, this is where Saul's military expertise was first displayed. If you go read 1 Samuel chapter 11, the same place 
that his military expertise was displayed as the same place he died. God showed him what I can do with your pride. And the thing of it is, high-mindedness gets us in trouble more than anything else. How many of you have talked to a teenager and they've said this to you, one of your children, and you're trying to talk to them and they go, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Just wait, Carrie, it's coming. All right? I know, I know, I know, I know. And I thought, man, as much as you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? They know a whole lot more than I do because they know, and I am trying to still work through it in my mind, and they keep telling me I know, and I'm thinking, I don't even know. How do you know? And the thing of it is, is that we do that to God sometimes. And we're not really paying attention to him. 1 Samuel eleven fifteen, and all the people went to Gilgal, and there made, they made, now listen to this, they made Saul king before the Lord. What happened? They made Saul king before the Lord. What happened? They did it. I want to tell you something. When you have a man who's going to come and be your pastor, you better pray and fast about who comes to your pulpit. Because you want what God wants, not just to fill a slot. What did the nation of Israel want? The nation of Israel said, well, we want a king. Everybody else got a king. We want to be just like everybody else. And so we picked Saul. Why? Because he's handsome. And he's big. And he's tall. And boy, when you put that armor on him, just look at him. He just shines and glimmers. And what a good-looking guy he is. And the thing of it is, is that's not what God was looking for, was he? So when he made David king, where did he go? A little man out in the field somewhere <laughs> watching over some sheep, right? And he said, man, that guy's got the heart that we're looking for. And what did God say about David in the Scriptures? And if you just do a study between Saul and David, look at the contrast between those two men. And you say, well, wait a minute, David committed adultery. Yes, but David confessed. Saul wouldn't. And you say, well, wait a minute, Nathan confronted David. Yeah, David was hiding his sin, but when he got confronted, what did he do? When Nathan said, thou art the man, he said, Phew. Now, did it mean that David's life was without consequences for the sin that had occurred in his life? No, not at all. His own son wanted to take his life. But the fact of the matter is, is that David was willing to confess his sin, and God said then about David, he was a man after God's own what? Heart. But he didn't say that about King Saul. It said, so Saul died for his transgression. And I want you to consider this. God used the place where Saul rose to power to place him in that ultimate defeat. That's what he did to him. He put him in the same place where he rose to power and he felt his same defeat. There, Saul, through his high-mindedness, allowed the people to make him king. This wasn't really God's choice. This is what the people chose and, and Saul pretty much consented to it. So, this ultimately led to Saul's jealousy, causing him to go down the road of pride. And this was a process in his life. It happened over a period of time. And, and the ultimate thing that happened to him, that high-mindedness, what happened is he failed to give credit to God, and often he failed to give credit to his men. And especially one in particular. What was his name? David. He failed to give him credit for the things that he did. And he wanted credit for himself. Now, I think that's a good example to us to be careful not to take glory away from God. We ought to give credit where credit is due. Isn't that what we say? 
We ought to give God credit. And, and you think about this, he continued to be high-minded, and finishing well starts and, and ends with having a heart of humility, not pride. And, and you think about this, Saul was so angry with David, what did he try to do to David? Kill him. He was so angry with David, he tried to kill him multiple times. That's high-mindedness. And you think about Jonathan in the Scriptures, Saul's son, what did Jonathan try to do for David? He tried to protect the guy. And he even asked his dad, he's like, hey, Dad, what's going on here, man? <laughs> Why are you trying to kill this guy? He's a good friend of mine. What's he done to you, Daddy? And he's like, don't like him. Because Saul has slain his thousands, and David has slain his what? Ten thousands. Uh-oh. What happened to Saul? Red light goes off. Hey, David's becoming more popular than me. And you think about this for just a moment. That's that high-mindedness and led down that path of destruction. Killing David with a javelin was his desire. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 10 through 11, and in 19, 10, 9 and 10, he tried to throw a javelin. He's throwing a javelin at a man. He invites him to dinner. How many of you would like to go to Christmas dinner, and while you're sitting there, <laughs> pastor picks up a javelin and goes, and throws it at you? You say, man, I'm not going to dinner at that guy's house again. Oh, no, I'll be back tomorrow. I want to see if you can hit me next time, right? <laughs> and the thing of it is, is no, you don't want to be participating in that. And that's what David had to run from. And he had to try to get away from it. First Samuel 20, 32 through 34, And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? What did he do to you, Dad? What did this man actually do to you? And sometimes we harvest bitterness and anger towards somebody and they haven't really even done anything to us. And we're carrying this around with us and, and, we've done, and they've done really nothing to us, but we're angry at them and it's pride that gets in the way. And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him. He tried to kill his own son now. That's how prideful he became. He was so angry that his son was protecting this man, David, whom he was angry at. That, my folks, is high-mindedness and take his own son's life for it. And, and it goes on and says, uh, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan arose from the table in a fierce anger and did eat no meat the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. And, and his own son knew, I've got to get away from my dad. This guy's trying to kill me. High-mindedness caused him to forget the Lord's leading, and they began pursuing after David. And if you go in in 1 Samuel, and, and from 20 on, Saul's life was about trying to kill David. From chapter 20 on, he's trying to kill the man. His whole life goal now was, i got to get rid of David. And he forgot running the kingdom. Now, Saul allowed his pride, his high-mindedness, to make his decisions for him. And by having that kind of thought, in that thought process, it led Saul to having the kingdom taken from him. And you look in verse 14, and he inquired, not of the Lord, therefore he slew him and turned the kingdom unto whom? He gave it to David, didn't he? He took it away from him. And so in 1 Samuel 15, 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as the iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. That was God's word to King Saul. I'm taking it away from you. You're, you're, you're high-minded. You're trying to kill people. <laughs> you're prideful. And, and listen, uh, my desire was not really to put you in that position. These people put you in this position. And what you're doing with what I've given you opportunity with is to destroy the whole situation. And you're trying to destroy it for the people. So I tell you tonight, to avoid the pitfall of unfinished work for the Lord, 
You have to relinquish pride. You have to get rid of it. You have to let it go, and you have to let go of high-mindedness in your life. Now, the last thought is this. You honor the Lord by carrying out His truth. If you look at verses 13 and 14, and you see this, it says, even against the word of the Lord did he commit this transgression, which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of that that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. King Saul did not obey the word of the Lord. King Saul uh, was like our modern politicians. They're looking for the next best uh, vote. And so they'll say whatever they have to to get a vote. <laughs> and, and so he did whatever he had to to try to remain king. And so what he did was he went out and inquired of the witch of Endor. And by the way, guess who put the law in place to not go inquire of, of, of witches? King Saul did it. And so what did he do? It's good for the people, but it's not good for me. <laughs> it's good enough for the people, but it's not good enough for me. And he goes and breaks his own law and, and goes and does just the opposite of what he's supposed to be doing. And so he was letting, letting himself be led by popular opinion. In 1 Samuel 15, 24, and Saul said unto Samuel, uh, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. <laughs> now I want you to think about this. Is it better to obey God rather than man? Yes. And what did Saul say? I've sinned against the Lord, and, and the reason that I did, the reason that I did, the reason that I did is because I feared the people more than, than I did God, and, and their voice made me afraid. He's the king. He said, I was afraid of the people. So who did he fear more? He feared the people more than he feared God. I believe one of the greatest difficulties that we have in modern society today is there is no fear of God. And the problem doesn't just persist in the world. It has infiltrated its way into the local church. And God's people are at the place where we don't fear God as much as we should. And we ought to have a fear of God in our hearts. Saul ignored God, and he decided to seek the people's opinion and, and sorcery. If you go read 1 Samuel 28, verses 3 and 7, you can go in and see exactly what he did. He broke his own law, and he went and he went and talked to a witch, and, and he tried to raise Samuel from the dead. And, and he goes and he inquires of that. Why not go inquire of God? How many things are we willing to go do before we go talk to God? And think about it for just a moment. In your decision-making, you need to consult with the Heavenly Father. You need to pray. You need to get alone with Him. You need to seek His wisdom. You need to avoid high-mindedness. We don't know everything. We need to know what God thinks. We need to know what God wants to do. And in so doing, when what I think goes against what this says, I need to obey what this says and avoid what I think. How many of you are on board with me tonight? I need to avoid what I think, and I need to obey what it says. I was just talking with someone today, and they said, you know, sometimes when I read the Bible, sometimes I just want to take one of those pages and throw How many of you have been there? Huh? One of the verses that you read in the Scriptures is in Matthew, and I see that, and God says, you know, hey, you heard love your neighbors and, you know, hate your enemies, but I say, do what? Love your enemies. Now, I'm getting rid of that verse. I don't want that in there. There are people that have made me mad, and I'm upset with them, and I will not love my enemies. <laughs> I was talking with someone the other night, and I said, you know, we've got to be careful because, you know, the Scriptures teach <laughs> that we are to have a holy kiss amongst the brethren. 
So, you know, when I'm going up and kissing Chris, you guys will know why, right? I'm just trying to have a holy kiss there, right? Chris is like, man, don't do that to me. But you know, when you look at the scriptures, do we get to choose, pick and choose what we want to obey and disobey? When we do that, we're not obeying God, are we? When you read the scriptures and you think about this, Saul ignored the word of God. And please know that the word of God will go contrary. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. The word of God will go contrary to how you feel. God's word will go against how you feel. And what I have to do is, is I have to set my emotions aside and my feelings aside and say, what does God's word say? And I need to look to God's word. When you think about this, and you think about your feelings and your emotions, it is better for us to obey than it is to sacrifice. And what you feel is right is not as important as what God said is right. <laughs> I saw a post the other day. And a woman said, you know, is it wrong for me to be a lesbian as a Christian? I know how I feel. <laughs> how many of you follow Todd Stearns? Anybody at all? He goes to Brother Chapel's uh, place out at West Coast, but he, he writes for uh, Fox News. And, and he writes in there and he said, what you're doing is, is you're placing your feelings above God's facts and truth. And how many of us as Christians are doing that today? We're allowing how I feel about something or what I think about something to supersede what God has said. And you can't go based off of feelings and emotions, but you need to do what is right. Now, the Bible is not a book of suggestions. God's not making this. I never read on the front of my Bible the Holy Scriptures, a book of suggestions. <laughs> Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Isn't that what God said about his word? How are we going to be cleaned up? How are we going to be sanctified? How are we going to be set apart for God's use? What is it that has to happen in us? The Word. We have to put the Word in us. And so that's how you get set apart. I want you to see one set of verses, and I'm done tonight. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. Now the Bible, as I shared with you, is a book of truth, and we need to understand it, we need to obey it, because we love God, and we want to do what God teaches us to do. I read this often because when I read these passages to you, I want you to think about this, and, and not that I, I want you to picture other people in your mind, but how many of us know some person that falls into one of these categories? I think every one of us will know somebody. We'll go, yep, I know that person. Look at verse 19 with me in chapter 13 of Matthew. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. You know somebody like that? Somebody you witnessed to? And then he says in verse 20, But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy does what? Receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but doeth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is what? Offended. How many of you know somebody like that? 
Are we all in the same book? You guys got the King James out there? Everybody with me? When you read that and you see that and you say in verse 22, he says, He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh what? Unfruitful. How many of you know somebody like that? Huh? And what is happening? Do you know what it all comes down to? Finishing well. Finishing well. Each of these people have heard the word, have they not? Each of them got something from the word of God that day, but each of them made a different decision. They made a different choice, didn't they? Now I want you to look at the last person here. In verse 23, But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some what? Thirty. What do you think that person did? There's some people that heard. You say this is the, the parable of the sower, and the, you know, and you see this thing, and, and what happens is, is each of these people have received the word of God, have they not? They all received the same thing, didn't they? Every one of those people made a different what? Choice, didn't they? Each one of them chose to do something different with what they know. And I'm sharing with you tonight, when you open this book, this is not a book of suggestions. This is you opening the Word of God, and when you read it, you need to ask yourself about what you just read. What does God desire for me to do, or maybe even stop doing for some cases, but what is it that I should do? Three cautionary steps. Well, when you go to make decisions, make sure you involve God in your decision-making process. And when you are making decisions, listen, avoid high-mindedness. Don't think more of ourselves than we ought to. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, isn't it? It's of the Lord. And thirdly, this thought. Obey the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.